0: As the band take a seat and as we get this TV set up, I want to um, get you thinking about this question. Um, what has your experience of church been? You know, when you grew up in church, maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe, uh, maybe you grew up disliking church or maybe you grew up uh, and you went to a church that, uh, that made you dislike church. What is, has what is your experience of church been? Has it been one of those places where you, grow, uh, you walk in and the pews are always like rock hard? Um, And it's just so uncomfortable when you're sitting there the whole time, like moving and there's the wooden back and maybe your parents were pinching you, like sit up, stand up, don't make any noise. Did you feel it was like one of those places where um, when you went to, you kind of wish that they had like a manual that they handed you when you walked in the door so you could get in sync with everyone? There's like stand up, sit down. Now we speak in Latin. Now we speak in English. Now we have a book. And we kind of just like, this whole. you're kind of like, I need like a cue sheet. Like where did everyone else get this cue sheet? Because I'm sitting down while they're standing up and it's just weird, okay? Uh, Maybe some of you, you kind of grew up um, in church and you actually loved it. Like you really, really liked it, but it was not a place you were going to invite your friends to. Okay, For me, that was definitely my experience. Like I grew up in a hyper, hyper hyper-traditional church. And when I say hyper-traditional, I mean like I was an altar boy. Uh, And if you don't know what an altar boy is, um, I was one of those dudes who I wore a white robe, so I was super holy. Um, I would carry a candle in. We kind of, wanted, well, one of those churches where you would walk down the center of the aisle and there'd be like someone carrying a big cross and like, and uh, me and like my little offsider, because um, obviously I was a senior one. Uh, we would have little candles and we would like walk down and then we would like sit up and we were kind of like up the front on the stage. Like it was a big deal. And so you really had to, you really had to stand up straight when you were um, an altar boy because everyone's eyes were on you. You were sitting there the whole time. You couldn't nod off in church, no matter how boring it was, you kind of had to we had techniques for keeping ourselves awake um, and keeping ourselves engaged. And, uh, and there's nothing, this is not a bag on like, traditional churches. If you grew up in a traditional church and you loved it, like that's okay. This is not a bag on that. Um, for me, though, growing up in that traditional church, I just had this sense that this is not normal. Okay? Like, I, I grew up knowing this is not what I do with my friends. Like, if I was going to invite my friends to church, I would have to explain to them... Everything beforehand because what we do in church is not normal. In fact, the way that people spoke was not normal. Like we spoke in Latin in my church. Like no one talks in Latin today. I was like, this is just not normal for me anyway. And and so I kind of like from a very young age, um I I didn't say it like this, but I I had this impression in my mind that church is just for church people. You gotta know the rules. You gotta know all the things to do, you gotta kinda fit the mould. And if you don't fit the mould, it's awkward. And you kind of don't really fit in here. And so I kind of grew up with this uh, mentality and this idea is that church is just for church people. But what's, what's fascinating and what I, what I find so interesting, right, is that when you open the pages of the New Testament and, and when you look particularly at the biographical accounts that we have of Jesus' life, we have four of them. One was written by a guy called Matthew. One was written by a guy called Mark. One was written by a guy called Luke. And the, another one was written by a guy called John. John was actually Jesus' best mate. Um, but, but when you read the accounts that we have of, of Jesus' life, what you discover very quickly is this. That people who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. And he liked them back. People who, who didn't, have, didn't, uh, didn't know the rules, wouldn't have been classified as church people in that day and age, actually liked hanging around with Jesus. And then what's crazy Jesus liked them hanging out with him. In fact, in in one of the biographical accounts that we have, written by uh, a guy called Mark, Mark is this really excitable chap. Um, And I say that Mark's excitable because if you read Mark's biographical account, um, he has this buzzword that he uses. And Mark's buzzword is immediately. Immediately this happened and immediately that happened. And it's kind of like he's on like two and a half times speed, like telling you the stories. And then they went here and then they went here and then Jesus did this thing and then it was awesome. And then they went to this next place and you've got to know everything that's going on kind of like maybe when your kids come home from school and they've had a great day it's just on like full bore and so mark kind of sucks you in right from the beginning of his biographical account and he just jumps from place to place to place to place to place but right at the right at the end of the second chapter that mark writes so we're just kind of mark still kind of getting into his rhythm he's still getting warmed up there's this really interesting interaction that happens at the end of the second chapter of mark because jesus is kind of kind of getting his band of brothers together. He's kind of calling people to follow him. And uh, Mark tells us this story about how Jesus went up to this fellow called Matthew. Um, and Matthew was a tax collector. And uh, just in case you don't have a fascination with first century tax collectors and you know nothing about them, let me bring you up to speed. Essentially, a tax collector like Matthew was made their money through extorting people. Because they would go into to towns and they would say, hey, you owe the Roman Empire a certain amount of tax. And they would always jack the prices up so that they could take a little bit off the top and put it in their back pocket. And so tax collectors weren't the, uh, the most likable people because everyone knew they were doing this, but no one could really stop them. And so Jesus goes up to Matthew and he does this unthinkable thing. He says, Matthew, I want you to be on my team. I want you to be one of my boys. And Matthew kind of freaks out. And he just gets so excited. And so Matthew does... Um, what we, we all do to celebrate big occasions, Matthew goes, well, let's have a party. Like, this is awesome. Let's have a party. And uh, if you can imagine the type of people who would be friends with a professional extortionist, you kind of have an idea of the people that Matthew was inviting to this party. And in the center of this party, um, of this professional extortionist and all his friends, we find Jesus and Jesus' crew. And somehow, we don't actually know how Um, all the church people of that day and age, the Jewish religious leaders, rock up, but they won't go inside because, oh, heaven forbid you would go inside to a party with those kind of people. But they're happy to stand outside looking in and when one of them just says this incredibly offensive thing, they ask this question of Jesus' followers, they say, hey, tell us, why does your boss hang out with such scum? Like, straight away, they've made this judgment about these people. They're saying, hey, you don't fit our mold. You don't do things our way. You don't look our, like we look. You don't talk like we talk. You have different values to what we look like. And straight away they make this value judgment. They say, hey, no, you're scum because you're not like us. And Jesus kind of hears this. And he goes, well, this party's awesome, but I need to step outside to address a few things right now. And Jesus' response to this question is, is, um, is so fascinating. Have a read of what he says. He says, healthy people... Don't need a doctor. Sick people do. It's kind of obvious, right? When you're feeling great, when you're feeling healthy, no one thinks like, I'm just going to go to the doctor to tell them how great I'm doing right now. Like they should know that everything's on, on top. I'm taking my vitamins. I'm drinking my kale smoothies. Life is great. No, it's only when, when we're sick that we do that. And then Jesus goes on. He says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. And this is kind of like a little subtle jab at the Pharisees. Like you're not actu- you don't actually have it all together. You know, you, you religious leaders, you church people, you just think you do. You think that you're morally superior because of the way that you live. You think you're morally superior because you give money to the church and you, you kind of give some of your spices and you kind of have everything sorted together. You think that you're morally superior because of the way you live your life, but he goes, I haven't even come to call you because you don't even think you need me really. He goes, but I have come uh, that those, uh, uh, but those who know they are sinners. In other words, Jesus said, the reason I've come into this world is for people who know they don't have it all together. And if you're a follower of Jesus, what's interesting is, is the reason that you follow Jesus, I hope, or it should be, not because you have it all together or you think you have it all together. The reason that, that you follow Jesus should be because you know that you don't. And this is actually the reason why beyond started three and a half years ago when when we launched beyond the reason that we wanted to to, uh, launch a, a new church was simple we wanted to go beyond church and lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus we said hey when you look at church and when you look at the statistics and when you look at people's impressions and understanding of church people don't generally like it it's it's declining pretty much everywhere in other words there is something going on that is making church resistible and we said, what we want to do is we actually want to go beyond church. We want to break the barriers down. We want, we want to remove barriers that stand in the way of people meeting Jesus, which is where our like, unique vision comes in, which is our vision is to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. Not to be trendy, not to be hip, not to be cool, but because when Jesus walked the earth, people who were nothing like him loved to hang out and loved to be around him. And that's actually why we're launching this series for the next couple of weeks. For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of building blocks. And this idea of, you know, how is it that we build, and how is it that we, you know, go beyond church? And how is it that we create a church that unchurched people love to attend? And one of the things we'll be kind of wrestling to the ground over the next few weeks is just simply this question. Is what are the building blocks of beyond church? Because in your life, like in all of our lives, we have building blocks when it comes to, to different things. And, and you might not have articulated them, but you kind of know what they are. You know, you might have building blocks when it comes to your marriage. Things like, hey, no, our marriage is built on trust. Our marriage is built on mutual respect. Our marriage is built on intimacy. You know, we have, you might have all these different things. Our marriage is built on fun. And, and you, you have these building blocks when it comes to work as well. maybe one of the the things at work that that our business is built around is profit because if you're not profitable you go out of business pretty quickly. But maybe uh, it's built around customer service. Maybe it's built around this idea of you know selling an excellent product. And we we have these as well you know when when it comes to picking um, schools for your kids or sporting clubs for them to be a part of or musical activities or extracurricular stuff. You know you kind of look on the outside. Because every soccer club essentially does the same thing they play soccer right? Every netball club plays netball. But you look at them and you go, hey, what are the building blocks? What are they made up of? Because it's those things that are important to each one of us. And that's why we we choose certain things and that's why we value certain things. And and for us at Beyond, we're no different. We have a number of building blocks that we put in place, we call them core values, um, that we want to kind of use to build and create a church that unchurched people love to attend. And we have six of them, but over the next three weeks, we're just going to look at three. And uh, and I understand, perhaps if you're sitting here, you're thinking you're hearing me so far, and you're like, "Oh, great!" Like, I've picked the wrong series to come because like I don't really, I'm not really a fan of this Jesus stuff. I'm not really even sure about this whole church thing. And so, wh- what benefit am I going to get out of this series, right? Because this is really just for church people. Well, I want you to know this is like this is a three-week series that you won't really get an opportunity in most other places because essentially what we're doing is we're going behind the scenes three weeks, we're going behind the scenes, we're lifting the hood, and we're saying, hey, come and check out what makes up and what builds a church. And we're going to talk about all three different things that we uh, talk about and how we go about building and creating a church that unchurched people love to attend. So even if you wouldn't consider yourself a church person or you resist it, uh, this is a great, this is a series for you as well because you kind of get like a sneak peek of everything that's going on. And, uh, and one of the, fir- the first building block that we're going to talk about today is, is this thing. This is This is the first thing that we value. We say this, that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. And then we say in order to reach people no one's reaching, we'll have to do things that no one else is doing. That's a pretty bold statement right there, right? We'll do anything, anything, anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. And in order to reach people who haven't heard the message of Jesus, in order to remove some barriers, we'll have to do things that other people aren't doing. And, uh, and this is kind of a big thing just to kind of throw out and go, yeah, that's what we're about. So I wanted to kind of bring you in onto a story to sort of show you how, how we go about doing that. It's actually found like before, it's, it's at the start of Mark chapter 2, before Matthew gets called, before Jesus kind of goes toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, and it's, it kind of paints this picture for what it looks like. It was always like Mark was setting the scene and you've kind of just seen the end of the story. Now I want to bring you in at the start of it to help you set the scene. Uh, and, and this is what Mark writes and, and how he kind of helps us say, hey, if, if, you probably need to pay attention to these, these few things if you want to do anything and remove some barriers. He says this. He said, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Again, here's that thing. It spread quickly. People wanted to be in the gravitational pull of Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus got back and then it was like a couple of days and then he posted an Instagram selfie or posted a Facebook status like hanging out with the squad back home. And people were like, oh, he's back. Now, as soon as Jesus got back, everyone was like, he's here. He's here. Everyone, everyone come around. And what happened next is soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room, uh, no more room. Okay, They were violating all kinds of fire hazards. People were like up on the roof. People like out flooding the street. Like it was just crammed in like sardines. He said, even outside the door. This was was absolutely packed. And then it goes on. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Oops, clicked one too far. Carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, Mark doesn't tell us that these guys were friends with the guy on the mat. Mark never says that. We might assume, or, well, maybe they were mates, but for all we know, these four blokes were walking through the town, saw a paralyzed man, and thought, "You know what? We need, we need to get this guy to Jesus. We need to get this guy in the, in the gravitational pull of Jesus, because Jesus will know how to do something about this guy. And so these four guys rock up, they pick up this guy on this mat, and they walk him towards Jesus. And this is kind of the first thing that that, Matthew, uh, that Mark says, rather, that Mark says, and kind of gives us a hint of how we do anything short of sin, how we remove some of those barriers, and it's this. We need to bear some burdens. Too often, you know, kind of Christianity is almost like this drive-by version of Christianity, like, oh, you're not doing well. Hope you get better. I'll pray for you. And it's just kind of like, we just say these nice pithy things as we, as we walk past, as we as kind of shoot them a, a quick Facebook message or a text message. But in this, Mark is saying, no, 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 it's not enough to see the issue. You need to do something about the issue. Which means, what that looks like is if someone's mum dies or someone's parent dies, we get around them and we support them. Maybe you cook a meal or you take a meal over to them. If someone's battling uh, maybe depression, then you journey through life alongside them and you, and you get them in contact with the resources and people who can help them. If a marriage is, is not in a great way, then you get alongside that couple and you begin to pray for them. You begin to support them. You kind of create a safe environment where they can talk through some of these things. It's not enough, Ma- Mark says, just to see a need. You have to be willing to bear some burdens. And then he goes on. He says, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. They couldn't get him in the door. And this, is, this is kind of leads into the, the second thing. Mark kind of hints that if we really want to do anything. Because so often this is unintentionally right, the church. Because when a crowd gets together, they do what happens when all crowds get together. They start to turn in on themselves. And everyone's kind of in this house and everyone's like, Jesus, you're so cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great story. I hadn't heard that. That's another miracle. Can you turn that water into wine? And what happened is everyone's back was to the people that were trying to get in. Everyone, no one could see the four guys outside carrying the, carrying the guy on the mat because everyone was so focused on the inside. And the problem is is that's natural, right? That's natural within each of us. When you get your friendship group, when you get your sports team, when you get your family, it's always awkward when that new person shows up for a little bit of time because it takes them some time to figure out the in-jokes and you're not sure if are they really going to hang around for a long period of time or... Or, you know, when you go over to someone's house for a barbecue and that surprise friend rocks up, you're like, oh, well, this changes the whole dynamic of the evening. And so in order for us to kind of do anything short of sin, we really need to do this. We need to resist the pull to become insider-focused. Because it's natural that everything we do becomes about insiders. Because that's how it works in every sphere of our life. But Mark says if if you really want to make a way for people like this paralyzed man on the mat to know Jesus, you and I need to recognize that at one point, if you're now a follower of Jesus, at one point in your life, you were the guy on the mat. You were the guy or the girl who was looking for a way into the house. And so we want to resist the pull to become insider focused. And then he he goes on, he says, they couldn't bring him, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now this is not the most socially acceptable thing to do, um, in case you're wondering. They couldn't figure out what to do and and in those days it was kind of a mud brick house, the stairs were external to the house a lot of the time and when it was really hot in the summer, what people would do is they would go and they would lie and they would take naps or they would even sleep on the roof. And so these guys are like, well we can't really get inside, so let's take him up the external stairs and put him on the roof. And then they began to dig through the roof. Now. This kind of ties into the third thing, what I'm about to say is for those of you who are not familiar with first century architecture, again, let me bring you up to speed. These were kind of pillars with thatch overlaid through them and they would use kind of um, uh, organic matter to kind of build the roof. But one of the key components that went into the roof was animal poo. So these guys were literally digging through crap to get their friend to Jesus. These four guys are just going to town, digging through this hole in the roof so that they can get this this guy, this guy in this paralyzed man, who maybe he was a friend, maybe he wasn't, so they can meet Jesus. And for us, this is the the third and final thing that Mark kind of highlights. If if we really want to be a community that does anything short of sin, we need to be prepared to break some rules. Not go crazy, but we need to be prepared to break some rules because there are some things that churches do that they don't even know why they do them in the first place. And what they've done is they've become a barrier. Sure, there might have been a reason, and there might have been a place, and there might have been a space where that was necessary, but over time, they don't even know why they've held on to these traditions or why they've held on to these things. And over time, what has happened is instead of uh, allowing people to meet Jesus, they've become a barrier between people and meeting Jesus. And so we want to be a place that breaks some rules. And once this guy, these guys had broken some rules, this is how the story ends up. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Uh, I don't know what you picture in your head. Like, I like things nice and neat. So in my mind, I picture like they had this pulley system and they kind of got him all sorted out and then they kind of like gradually lowered him down. It was just this nice landing. Um, <clears throat> but realistically, like they dug through the roof with their hands, Right? So I'm ge- I don't know if they even had a rope, but I'm guessing maybe they were kind of like, kind of holding him and one guy had a corner each and they're like, what do you reckon? Do you reckon it's like, how far is it? Like I can't really, he's paralyzed. It won't really matter, will it? And just bang, like drops him in front of Jesus. And Jesus is like, whoa, okay. And then this is Jesus' response. Seeing their faith, not seeing the faith of the paralyzed man, but seeing the faith of the people who had got around this guy, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. These guys had, had kind of bared some burdens. They'd, they'd broken some rules. And they'd kind of, they got this guy in front of Jesus. They got this. And because of their faith, Jesus said, You know what? Your sins are forgiven. And it's kind of really easy, isn't it, to sort of, Come into come into a space like this and think like, yeah, let's go beyond church. Yeah, let's create a church that unchurched. People love to attend. Let's do anything short of sin. It's kind of like, yes, it feels good. But this is where you come in, right? This is where you come in, because it's one thing to hear this sort of stuff. It's one thing to read stories about people who are willing to dig through roofs. It's another thing to do it in our own lives, isn't it? And so how, how do we how do we do that? How do we do anything short of sin well the big thing we need to remember and the big thing that i I just want you to take away if you take nothing else away from today is this that bringing people close to jesus is something we're committed to not something we're interested in and i'll explain a little bit what, what that looks like in a second but it's something we're committed to not something we're interested in and so first I want to kind of give you, hey, this is what it would look like if, you, if we were, if you're, now if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to say like, go out and share the message of Jesus with people because you don't even buy it yourself. That, that just doesn't make sense. But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's my challenge for you in the next seven days. I want you to write down the names of three people in your circle who don't know Jesus and I'll, I'll be blunt, I say this at the PM and I'm not, the AM doesn't get to escape it either. If you don't know three people in your friendship group who don't know Jesus, you need some more friends. That's, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be interacting and you should have relationships with people who do not know Jesus. Okay? So write down the names of three people in your circle who don't know Jesus, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's co-workers, whether it's the parents that you you sit and chat to while you're waiting for the bell to go, whether it's the parents that you kind of sit and chat to while you're watching the kids train, or while you're waiting for that, uh, that extracurricular activity to be done, or whether it's outside school debating. Whatever it is, I want you to write down the names of three people in your circle who don't know Jesus. Then I want you to do this. I want you to invite them to beyond. I want you to extend an invitation to them now i understand that when people hear this kind of thing in church like oh, of course invite them because you just want the church to grow yes of course i'm not like apologizing for that like if something's great you want other people to know about how great it is right but but more than that i want to challenge you because most most people would say i just pray for them i'm giving you a lot of credit i'm assuming you're already doing that I want you to actually step outside of your comfort zone and I want you to extend an invitation. And here's why. Because you are responsible for reaching the people in your circle of influence. Your co-workers, the people you ride the train with, the people you have lunch with, you are responsible for bringing the message of Jesus to them. I'm responsible for doing it for my friends, for my networks, but you are responsible. And and more than that, you are actually the best placed person to do that. Think about it. Think about it. So many people and so many church people have this mentality. If I can just get them to church, if I can just get them to church, and then they'll hear someone speak and they'll hear the music and it'll all be great. Like, you have a relationship with them. You know them. You know what their life is like. I don't. Our musicians don't. It doesn't make sense. It makes more sense if you recognize, you know what, the people in my circle of influence, they're the people that I'm responsible for reaching. And I want to push you a little bit further. And I want to make you a little bit uncomfortable if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you, okay? You can sit back and relax. I'm not talking to you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Because when you're interested in doing something, you do it only when it's convenient. But when you're committed to something... You accept no excuses, only results. And the truth is, for a lot of us who are followers of Jesus, people in your life could look at this and they would say something like, you know what, they're committed to their job. They're committed to their family. They're committed to going to the gym. They're committed to making off their car payments. But they're not committed to sharing the hope of Jesus with others. They're kind of interested sometimes. They're kind of interested when it doesn't require much of them. But they're not committed. They're in workplaces for years and no one even knows that they're a Christian. They hang out with people every day and have lunch with them and no one even knows that they go to church. And I I want you to sit in that for a second. And I do it not to make you feel bad, but I do it to let you know that you were created for so much more You were created for so much more. The church throughout history has done things like we've delegated innovation to Apple. We've delegated creativity to Hollywood. We've delegated relationships to Facebook. It's time that the church began to say, you know what? We're going to take a stand and we are going to do anything short of sin. We are going to make ourselves uncomfortable so that people we know can experience the life changing message of hope that we found and you don't have to do that in a weird way you don't have to do that in an awkward way but the invitation that you extend could just be the invitation that changes someone's life so extend an invitation this week and come and hang out with us as we jump into part two of building blocks next week i'd love to pray really really quickly as the band comes back up Jesus, it's, um, it's one thing and it's, it's, it's really easy and we're all so guilty of it and I'm guilty of it too when we, we come to church and we hear these cool stories about Jesus and we, we, we hear, hear the worship music and we just get this nice feeling inside but then we leave the doors of this place and no one that we interact with really knows the hope that we have and Lord, for those of us that call this place home, for those of us who would say we're followers of Jesus, Lord, don't let us ever just get to a point where we're merely interested in you, where we're merely interested in following you. But Lord, may we be a community of people who are committed to following you. Lord, may we be a community of people that when people look in on us, what they see is people who are willing to love before they judge. People whose initial reaction is to extend a hand to help before they ever ask about their beliefs. Lord, may we be characterised as a community of people who is just tearing down barriers, tearing down walls that stand between someone and meeting you. And Lord, for those people in this room who are, who are not even sure if you exist, who are not trying to make sense of this whole God thing, Lord, I pray that throughout this series, that they would get a glimpse of what Jesus talked about, that they would get a glimpse and they would see. you know what, if this, is church, if this is what church is supposed to be like, then maybe, maybe I should take a step and get to discover Jesus, who is at the center of this whole thing. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.